So it says in verse number 16, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. So we're not, we're not going off imagination, right? And then we know that the apostle Peter here, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us his experience, just one experience, but telling us his one experience of going up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is where Jesus was transfigured, meaning his, his body and everything about him was changed as if he were already in heaven. We understand when we get to heaven, we're going to have glorified bodies. We're not going to have the exact same body. We will recognize one another. By the way, we know that from that story of the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah were there, they were talking with Jesus and talking with one another. That's, that's going to be the same for us as well. We will know each other in heaven. Won't that be amazing? By the way, think about that if you're angry at some Christian because you're going to see him in heaven. And once we get there, it's not going to matter anyway, right? So Moses and Elijah were there. What an, what an incredible experience. I mean, uh, there's only two other men that, that had that experience with Peter. Very, very small in comparison to, uh, to, to uh, the world, right? Uh, this incredible uh, spiritual experience. So he's trying to say here, he's not basing his faith on his experience alone. We've, our experience has to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. And that's why we've been focusing on that verse. We have a more sure word of prophecy. It's more sure than imagination. And it's more sure even than experience. I know what I felt. I know what I experienced. Okay, that may be true. But listen, we need God's word to help us, to help us interpret that experience in the right way. So now we're just going to focus for just for a little bit on uh, verse number 19, where it says we have a more sure word of prophecy. Now, specifically when it's talking about prophecy, it's talking about the Old Testament. Okay, these these statements can apply to the New Testament as well. But in this passage is saying we have a more sure word of prophecy when he's referring back to the Old Testament to say that everything that I've taught you about Jesus Christ lines up with the Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And that is an entire uh, line of study in and of itself, going through the Old Testament and looking at the many, many prophecies that line up um, and specifically show us and agree with Jesus is the Son of God. It agrees with all of these prophecies from the Old Testament the New Testament can also be included in this, even though in this particular passage, it's not specifically saying that. Specifically, it's referring to the Old Testament. But the New Testament also has many, many prophecies. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? It is teaching us who Jesus is, but it's also uh, going beyond just the stories and teachings of the Gospels. And it's going even further and deeper into the reality of who he is and what he has done for us. And then, of course, it goes into specific prophecies of what will happen in the future, okay? Which um, in 2 Peter chapter number three, we're not gonna turn there, but in chapter three, it actually starts to go through some of these prophecies and talking about the end of the world and the end of time. So that's just a little bit of an overview, but I want us to look here just for a moment uh, in chapter number 19, it says we have a more sure word of prophecy. Listen, when you hold the word of God in your hand, it is sure. It is dependable. It is reliable. 
It is eternal. Jesus said that there's not one jot or one tittle that will pass away. Okay? It, um, and so uh, Jesus says that the, that the Bible is absolutely reliable, and that's not necessarily the focus of today's study. But it is so important for us to, to know that we have a sure word of prophecy. We can believe it when the Bible says it. It says, whereunto you do well, he's saying, because it is sure, you need to pay attention to it. Ye do well that ye, it says, take heed, or that you pay attention to it, or that you are serious when it is serious. You take heed to it. Uh, it's so important for us to make sure that when we approach the word of God, that we allow God's word to be serious. Sometimes people just dismiss it as in, in verse number 16, where they think it's a cunningly devised fable. They just dismiss it. They just kind of push it off to the side. Well, that's what you think. Oh, those are your beliefs. Oh, that's just kind of whatever. And we're going to talk about the importance of doctrine here in just a moment. But some people, they don't take it seriously. And the apostle Peter here is saying, listen, sometimes we make, we make our imagination, we take our imagination really seriously. Something that we imagine in our mind, we take it very seriously. Some impression that we've, ha we've had or something that we kind of just think, well, you know what? I just really think, I, I remember talking to this girl that was cutting my hair one time. We started, people always ask me, what do you do for a living? And I tell them I'm a pastor. And I remember this, this, this lady saying, you know, I grew up in church, but I don't, I don't really do that anymore. I'm like, well, what do, you, what do you do now? She's like, I believe in myself. I believe in myself? What if you need help beyond yourself? You don't believe in anything bigger than you? Imagination. Imagination. We've got to have something more sure than our imagination. We've got to have something more sure than our feelings. We've got to have something more sure than our perception. We have to have something more sure than our experiences. Something more sure. And so then we approach God's word and Peter's saying, when you approach it, know for sure. First of all, it's sure. It is a sure word of prophecy. How do we know we can trust God's word? Now, this is a huge topic, but just one quick thing is, look at the fulfilled prophecies. Why did God take the time to reveal himself over a period of 1,600 years? And why didn't he just not do, listen, why did he not do what perhaps the Book of Mormon or perhaps the, the Book of, 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 of Islam, the Koran, where he just kind of gives it all at once or all to one person within a very, very small period of time? He gives it to Joseph Smith, and that's who the leader of the Mormons were, was, were. Right? And then he gives it to Muhammad, the Quran. One time, just drops it, the whole book, boom. Not, again, not, not all at once in the sense of, but to one person within their lifetime over just a short period of time. Both of these books have many, 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 many just factual errors in them, by the way. Many factual errors. One of the reasons why God in his genius, in his wisdom, in his intelligence... Okay, and these are just, I'm human, I'm just putting, using words to help us describe God. Is so that we can track him over 1600 years. 
you can say, well, this is what happened and this is what's predicted 800 years before that. Well, how did that happen? Oh, that's just a chance. That's just a coincidence. Oh, a coincidence. And it's happened many, 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 many times. If, if, if we can track him and we have a, a long period where we can trace him and track him over many, many hundreds of years and even thousands of years, then that means that I can trust what he says. The atheists do not have an answer for that. The doubters and the haters do not have an answer for the, for they, they try to dismiss it all at once, but what are they not doing? They're not, they are not taking heed to, they're not taking it seriously. They're just dismissing it. They're just dismissing it altogether. What does, what happens? What is the effect of God's word? By the way, I want to show you guys something here. Notice what it says in the verse. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light. So it's a sure word of prophecy. And then he likens it unto a light. The light of God's word. God's word is the light. This book shows you things that no other book can show you. No other teacher can show you the things that this shows you. Amen. Amen. The world, or at least the secular world that we live in in Toronto, is obsessed with trying to make every religious belief somehow fit together like a big jigsaw in order for the sake of unity. But this is the light. If it agrees with the light, then it's truth and it's sure and it can be trusted. If it doesn't agree with the light, then it's not light. It's darkness. It cannot be trusted. It is error. Light is from God. The light of truth, the light of reason. This light comes from God. Let me show, let me, let's, let's look at a few verses together as we continue on with the study of this verse. Let's go, first of all, let's go to, uh, let's go to 1 John. We're really close to that if you're in Peter. 2 Peter, just a couple of pages. 1 John chapter 1. The word of God is sure. Notice, okay, just remember, Notice from the very beginning in Genesis chapter number three, what did Satan do when he came to Eve? Hath God said? No, no, no. God's word is sure. You can trust it. Now, this is a huge topic. If, if, listen, if we wanted to get into the apologetic side where we actually take the time to look at all of the reason or the science or the, or the, the factual history of why the word of God can be trusted... That can, be, that can be done. I may not necessarily do an entire sermon on it, but there are many good books out there that teach us and show us from many different viewpoints, the word of God is sure. It is the word of God and it is, it is sure. Okay, so it's sure. Because it's sure, it's light. Because it's sure, it is light. 1 John 1 And verse number four, 
And these things write we unto you. Okay, notice God's preferred method is writing. He wrote it down. We, we know that in very practical ways nowadays, right? It's like if you have an appointment for the dentist in like six weeks, if you don't write it down, are you going to go? Of course not. No one wants to go to the dentist. They're not going to, oh, I can't wait six weeks. Oh, now it's only, you know, it's, 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 it's five weeks and six days. I can't wait. No, no, no. You've got to write it down. Well, God loved us so much that when he revealed himself to us, he did do it in, in experience to men like he and women. Angels came to women too. Jesus spoke to men, to women all the time, right? But God revealed himself to both men and women, but he, he wrote it down. And, that's, and, and so um, uh, 1 John 1 and verse number four, these, these things write we unto you. Why? That your joy may be full. Uh, your joy, don't miss this. Your joy, your true joy is connected to the light of God's word. These things write we unto you. Why? That your joy may be full. Let me ask you something. Is your joy full? Not happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. That's different. That's based on health. It's based on perhaps it not being cloudy outside. It not being 16 degrees. Maybe that's your preferred temperature. I don't know. Joy is different. I can be joyful when things in my life are bad. Why? Because I have God's word and God's word is light. When everything in my life seems dark, the light of God's word cuts through all of that negativity and darkness and lies and frustration. It cuts through and shows me what is really true and real. You are always good. You are only good. Where do we get those lines from? From God's word. It, listen, it cuts through when nothing seems like it's good. God is still good. Amen. Where'd you get that thought from? From God himself. When God revealed himself through his word, he wrote it down and gave us a long track record. And by the way, uh, the fact that all the prophecies line up with one another and there is not one of them that has fallen, not one of them that can be disproven. There's not one of them that is broken. There's not one of them where he said something and it didn't come true. The Bible says that his word is a verily and amen. It is absolutely going to happen. It is absolute truth. The prophecy are there. Another miracle is the fact that, that God preserved his word. He didn't just write it down, but here we still have it thousands of years later for us to study and know. Anyone who has seriously studied the word of God has come to the conclusion that's the word of God. You can't come to any other conclusion. And in doing that, we realize, man, my joy is connected to, the, to this writing. Joy is connected to his word. Verse five, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In him is no darkness at all. There's no untruths. There's nothing we have to be cautious about. Listen, there are so many things in life we cannot fully trust. Publications, news, 
outlets. Everybody's got an angle. It always seems like the human heart always leaves something out. It seems like it. God doesn't do that. In him is no darkness at all. It's so, listen, people approach their favorite news outlet with more emphatic trust in the truthfulness and perspective than they do with the word of God. Oh, well, my favorite celebrity said, good for your favorite celebrity. Well, God said, yeah, well, they're not taking heed. They just brush it aside. You're brushing aside what God said over in favor of what your celebrity, who's like 23, what does a 23-year-old know? Not as much as God. (laughs) Amen. In him is no darkness at all. Our fellowship is based on the light of his word. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Our fellowship is based on the word of God. Pastor, when we come together, why can't we just kind of just hang out? Well, we can have times of hanging out. But fellowship ought to be based on the word of God. That's where we really and truly, everybody's looking for that deep, solid connection. I just want to have deep connections with the community. I want to have deep connections with people. I want to have those deep relationships. Listen, the best and deepest relationships are with those people that have the deepest relationship with God and his word. We have fellowship one with another. Why? We're walking in the light. We're not walking in suspicion. We're not walking in negativity. We're not walking in darkness. We're not walking in outright sin. Sin hurts me. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But here's the thing about sin. It also hurts others. Oh, I can do whatever I want. It's not hurting anybody. That's just not true. The wages of sin is death. It brings death spiritually to yourself. It brings physical death. It brings death to relationships. It brings death. The sin of selfishness brings death. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John chapter one. So regular John. John chapter one. The word of God is light. We're going to read some more about the light. God's word is light. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. My joy is based on him, the light that he brings and the, and the light that his word brings. Amen. Fellowship is based on that. My fellowship with God is based on what his word says, not based on what I think. We have fellowship with him. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. We're going to see that reemphasized here in John chapter number one. Foundationally, when we're talking about salvation, we have to agree and understand we are accountable to God. We are accountable to God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says. 
we will all stand before him and give an account of everything that has been done in our body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That's what the Bible says. That, and that knowledge brings a new sense of awareness to life. And if someone has not come to Christ and trusted Christ as their Savior, they need to approach God's Word and Christ Himself as the light. He is the truth. This is the truth. You are accountable to God, but you are not responsible for saving yourself. This is why Christ came into the world. He is the light of the world. John 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. What does that mean in verse number nine where it says, he's that light that lighteth every man? It means that we have the light of life, meaning we, we're alive. We have the light of reason, but also we have the light of God's image, right? We are all made in the image of God. And we, when, when, when Adam sinned in the garden, we died spiritually, but we still have a very special part of us as human beings that is connected to God. And that's what it's talking about. And just because we have that connection to God in creation does not mean that we are automatically saved. And that's why Christ came into the world, because he is the light of the world. Notice it says in verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. and We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. John chapter number three. And verse 19, John three nineteen, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When someone hears God's word, it shows light. It shows them what's really going on. It shows them their true condition. It shows them what's really happening. And when people are shown that light, the reason why they will recluse back and say, I'm not going to believe on Christ, I'm not going to believe in his word, is not because it's not true. It's because they love the darkness of their sin more than the light, because the light reproves the darkness. Every time you flick a light on, the darkness is chased away by the power of the light. Isn't that true? And the same thing is true when people hear the word of God. 
we have the light makes a cho- uh, brings about a choice. So, let's go back to Second Peter. So now I'm going to switch over to the web browser and I'm going to show you two articles and we're not going to look at them completely, but I want to show you, this is an article from 2015, August 5th of 2015. The title of the articles, this is from the National Post uh, here in Toronto, here in Canada. Unprecedented United Church probe could lead to removal of non-believing Toronto minister. So this lady, a minister of the United Church of Canada, says that she does not believe in God or in the Bible. Sometimes we want to know, what's the difference with a Baptist? Well, we would say that we believe in God and the Bible. Amen. 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 We, we, we believe in God and the Bible. Uh, some of the congregants support her views and some of them do not. She had 150 people in her congregation. And then when she started to kind of share these things and say, we're not going to do the Lord's Prayer anymore. I don't believe in God and I don't believe the Bible. And she's basically trying to stand up for her right to continue to be a minister. 100 of the 150 left. As they should. So we're talking about the light. Now I've gotten a little bit into the deeper, the, the deeper doctrines and you kind of think, man, I'm, I'm having trouble following and, and this is a little bit thick and this is a little bit deep. So in this particular congregation, they're just, they're completely doing away with, with everything. But my first thought is what's the point? My first thought is why go to a church where they don't even believe in God or the Bible or the leader doesn't? Why even go to church? Right? What's the point? I mean, if, you're, if, there, if there is no God and, and, and his word can't be trusted, what are you doing? Are you just going to make yourself feel better? But again, how long does that last? So we see here on one side where it's just like, God's word is not the light. Our own reason is all the light that we need. And reason nowadays, as far as the unbelieving reason, is saying God's word can't be trusted, not even sure there's a God. So that's one side. Now we have another one. Uh, by the way, you're saying, how did you come, how did you find these articles? All I, all I did was I typed in Google. I said, basically, what church doesn't believe in doctrine? No doctrine. The word doctrine, we'll get into this in just a moment. The word doctrine means teaching. It specifically relates to specific teachings of the Bible. And so in in the case of this United minister, no doctrine. Nothing is important. Not even God. And in the case of of this one, this is uh, um, an article uh, written by Renee Renee Nicole. 
Uh, again, just a simple Google talks about what do, non, what do non-denominational churches believe. You say, Pastor, are you just why are you calling people out? And why are you trying to? I'm not calling them out. They're really calling themselves out. It's I mean, it's not. This is not me digging in deep. This is just me doing a simple Google search. And we're asking the question: Is is doctrine important? Is light important? Is the word of God really light? Where are we going to be together as a church? Where do you stand as an individual? Is it the sure word of prophecy? Or can certain parts of it just be dismissed because, and in the case of that one woman, all of it's dismissed. All of it's dismissed. Why aren't we a non-denominational church? Denomination is generally the term for like a specific type of religious tradition. Baptist, Methodist, United, Catholic would be another one. Any, it, it, all of these would be different denominations, right? Just like um, here's, here's a denomination. This is a $5 bill, so that's called a denomination. So all of the $5 bills would be in the same denomination and 10s and 20s and, and so on and so forth. So in a religious sense, in the religious world, a denomination means these are, this is what I believe. These are the beliefs. And we as Baptists, we have to know, why are we Baptists? Or should we just be non-denominational? Because a lot of times non-denominationals, in some cases, they they seem to have a broader um, audience. They seem to have more people. Is it really important? Is doctrine really important? Is teaching really important? Okay. The topic that we're talking about today is the doctrine of the preservation of the word of God. The doctrine of the word of God, the teaching, the specific teaching of the word of God. And we as Baptists believe that it can be trusted, that it has been preserved and so on and so forth. That's what we believe because why? Because that's what it says. That's what it actually says. We're going to verses in the word of God to show and to prove why we believe what we believe. We're not going to long years of tradition and history to prove what we believe. We're just going to what the Bible says. So in this one case, this woman's saying none of it matters. And as far as I know, she's still the leader there or somewhere, somewhere in East Toronto. So with these non-denominationals, forgive the cat. I don't, that's just, you know, you know how it goes. Okay, so this lady, Renee Nicole says, I attend a non-denominational church and I plan to keep visiting that type of church for the rest of my days. Though this is the quote-unquote denomination for me, non-denominational churches have their downfall. Nothing is perfect. Non-denominational churches, to put it politely, threw out any documents or theologies apart from the Bible. That statement is not true, but that's what she says. They don't use the catechism, any creeds of Christendom or TULIP. TULIP is related to... Um, Calvinism. These Christians did something radical and went back to the source of their religion. Uh, It says here, that's fine, but that's hundreds of years of arguing wasted. Scholars spent 2,000 years discussing, writing books, and tearing the church apart to make those doctrines. I wonder how many hours lost pages used and relationships ruined because Christians took stances on different issues. Then the non-denominational church threw it out. Someone, so she's making the non-denominational church to be able to be the hero. Like, we're, we're done fighting. We're doing something radical. Okay, so what are they throwing out and what are they keeping? That's my question. 
Because to, to be honest with you, some of that sounds a little good. Pastor, are you saying we're not going to be that? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just trying to say, if you're taking what she's saying and the reasoning behind it, let's stop all the fighting. Let's get back to the Bible. Hey, that sounds good. All right, so what are we going to keep? What are we throwing out? Well, she's trying to say, we're going to throw out all the fighting. We're going to throw out all, all of the stuff in the Bible that is, that, is, that, is, um, that is not important. Someone put it this way. Non-denominational Christians feel that it doesn't matter if we disagree on doctrine. That's not what is going to get us to heaven. That's not true. So why fight over it? And I agree with that statement. Uh, so this one, this statement is important. Then we'll, then we'll make the point. I think those creeds have a place. Let's see. Um, the next downfall of non-denominational churches stems from the first pitfall. There is nothing to fall back on. If someone walks into the church and asks what the church's stance on baptism is, the church might give a different answer, depending on who is responding. I can't point the person to a catechism question that was debated for thousands of years. And then she goes on to say that basically all that's important is for them to, all that is important is for them to get saved and to enjoy their salvation. And that's essentially what she says. And she goes through and, and goes through some more things. So I'll go back to my slides at this time. Those are not my slides. Those are my notes. Thank you for your patience. There they go. All right. So basically what she's saying is, let's throw out all the fighting stuff. And if you come into a non-denominational church and you ask a question about baptism, speaking in tongues, Bible, uh, if, if, if I get saved, if I become a Christian, am I always saved? Or if I do something bad, do I lose my salvation? Depending on who you ask, you'll get a different answer. That doesn't sound like light to me. That sounds like it's confusing. Pastor, why are you picking on? No, I'm not picking. We have to ask ourselves the question, is truth important? And should we put truth out that other people seem to disagree with? There may be people in your life right now that say, Baptist, all they want to do is fight over the, over the Bible. That's not true. I would love to agree with you. I would love to agree with everybody. We have a few verses here. We're talking about doctrine. I'm almost done. We're not going to take any longer than is necessary. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 7. John chapter 7. We're going to look about three or four verses right in a row. We're going to make the point, and then we're going to be done. John 7. And that's why we are asking the question on the screen, is doctrine dangerous? Doctrine is the teaching. Doctrine is specific teaching about a specific topic. My question is in the non-denominational churches, how can you be so sure about being saved but not sure about anything else? 
The curious thing, too, is that she goes on in the article and she begins to explain and she says, I've been to two non-denominational churches in, in her life. And she's, she's a young lady and she, she graduated from college recently and she moved away and now she's going to. So she's been a member of two different non-denominational churches. And in both of these churches, she, she says that they preach through the Bible, like verse by verse or chapter by chapter. And it's like, how can you do that and not come to a doctrinal conclusion? God is. That is a doctrine. God is light. God is unchanging. God is love. God is holy. These, these are doctrines. This is theology, meaning the study of theos, of God. Study the study of God. These are doctrinal conclusions. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That is a doctrinal conclusion. How can you take the time to study through a chapter and verses of the Bible and not come to a doctrinal conclusion? I don't understand that. And if I'm showing up and I'm saying, guys, uh, listen, I, I messed up yesterday. I did something really bad. I, am, am, am I still a Christian? Do I need to get baptized again? Am, am I still going to heaven? Is there a heaven? Listen, the answer to every one of these questions is a doctrine. Without doctrine, you have no answers. Without doctrine, you don't have any truth. Without doctrine, there is no light, my friends. In photography, this kind of light shooting down through the crowds is called, anybody know what it's called? In photography, it's called God light. That's what they call it. That's why he chose his picture. The God, when, when the light breaks, breaks through and it's kind of like a shaft. Where are we without truth? Where are we without truth? Where are we without doctrine? Why was Jesus crucified on the cross? Well, because he fundamentally disagreed with the teachings and practices of the religious elite. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. Notice what Jesus says here. John 7, verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My, whoa, there it is. My doctrine is not mine. Guess what? Jesus had doctrine. <laughs> I follow Jesus, but I don't have any doctrine. Uh, what do you do with that verse? I have friends that are non-denominationalists, by the way. I'm not trying to demonize them. And I think a lot of them are saved, born again, good people. The same thing's probably true in some cases with the, with the, with the United, or I'm trying to remember, yeah, the United Church. Not under that kind of teaching, but under maybe some under previous teaching. I don't know. But I just want to know for myself, what's true? Should I have doctrine or is doctrine dangerous? Well, Jesus had doctrine. Question, was Jesus' doctrine dangerous? I mean, in a, in a sense of where it got him killed, yeah. It got him killed, but it also gave him the resurrection. It get, listen, doctrine gives you a truth that transcends. It gives you something that connects to eternity. It gives you something that is greater than yourself, that is worth changing your life for, and that in some cases is worth 
dying for. We need something that's bigger than us to live for. So many people live for this purpose that is just so small and so internal and so selfish. It's Listen, it's either self-discovery or self-expression. That is just people's journey. Do they just, and, and, and everything in the media says it and every influencer says it. And follow me and I'll help you discover yourself. Listen, my, our goal as Christians should be to discover God. Why? Because God transcends me and I need something that's just bigger than me to live for. I can't chase myself all the time. Because based on the weather and based on what I read and based on what music I heard, I can be a different person. Aren't you a different person than you are five years ago? Of course you were. You're five years older. You've learned. And you've and some people evolved. I've evolved. No, you've not. You've grown. You haven't evolved. You've grown. And you've changed. Jesus said, I had doctrine. My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. There it is, guys. Where does doctrine, where did it come from? Came from God. Well, then I think if you're going to be a Jesus follower, a Christian, a Christ-like one, a little Christ, a little Jesus, a worshiper, well, then I think we should just find out what Jesus believes because he got it from God and He's one with the Father. Well, let's find out what he believes and let's just follow on in that same line. And by the way, I don't care if it's called Baptist. The name is not important. Right now, in this moment of time, I've, I really believe the name is important. It is important to know what a Baptist is and, and what they believe because it defines something. But Baptists have not always been called Baptists. There have been other names they've been called and they've not always believed everything that we would say that now a biblical Baptist would be. But Jesus said, I have doctrine. Verse number 17, if any man will, if any man will do his will, God's will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In John 18, verse 19, two more verses, and then we'll conclude. John 18 and verse 19. Look, I am sick and tired of society telling me to, that I cannot believe anything unless everybody else agrees with it. Let me say that one more time. I am sick and tired of society telling me that I cannot believe something unless everybody else agrees with it. Not everyone has ever believed the truth. There has never been a moment in time when everybody believed in the truth. For a fraction of time, Adam and Eve believed in the truth. And then one of them went off and then the other one followed. And then they came back to God and they had two children and one of them became a murderer. And what? Four people on the earth. Four. And they still weren't on the same page. There are some things that are just worth believing. Why? Because it's the truth. It's a sure word of prophecy. And in believing it and obeying it, light comes into my life. Light. The lights turn on. Not a quick turn on. Not like light switch. The Bible says in, in, in our verse in Peter, 
Like the day dawn and the day star rising. Many times when we read the word of God, the light comes on slowly like a dimmer switch. You guys have dimmer switches in your house? Any dimmer switches? Yeah, you just slide it up and slowly it comes on. But that's why you need to read your Bible every day. Well, I read it and I don't get it. If you keep reading it, the dimmer switch will continue to come on. Amen, pastor. That's good preaching right there. That's Bible. What does it say about Jesus? 18 verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. He asked him, what are you teaching? Oh, I don't know. Stuff. Just whatever. Uh, the, the one united minister. What, hey, what would have she said to this question? Just nothing. We don't, we don't really we just, be nice. Look, you don't go to church to just have somebody tell you to be nice. I want to know what God says. You go to the non-denominational church. What's your doctrine? And they could give a, a short list. I want the full list. If God took the time to write it down, we should take the time to know it. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter uh, 20, speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says, I have not neglected to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Last verse, Acts 2. Acts 2. And 41, 42. 3,000 people get saved. By the way, the Apostle Peter, same guy whose writings that, we're reading, that we began with in 2 Peter, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they are, his, they are God's words, not his words. But same person that God used, preached a sermon. We're not going to look at the entire sermon. He's preaching to them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a doctrine. The doctrine of salvation. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. That is the doctrine. That is a truth. That is a light. The first church. Acts 2 and 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly. In what? The apostles' doctrine. That's the first thing that's mentioned. They received Christ. They got baptized. And what, what's, what's, what's the next step, Pastor? Pastor Peter, Pastor James, what do we do next? You need to learn the doctrine. Where'd the doctrine come from? Jesus. Where'd Jesus get it from? From the Father. Pastor, what's the plan for Sparrow Baptist Church? The plan for Sparrow Baptist Church is if you're not saved, you need, to, you need to accept Christ. If you've been saved and never been scripturally baptized in deep water, kaplunk, and back up, no one in the Bible was sprinkled. Nobody. They were all deep water. Oh, I don't know why I have to fight about baptism. We don't have to fight about it. You can read it and do what it says or disagree and not do it. 
But we're just going to try to do what it says as best as we can. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And then after, after you get baptized, what do you do? Continue in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine. They're teaching. Continue in it. And what else? Fellowship. That's next week when we go to my house. Lord willing, you can come. And at other times, we can all fellowship. Right? Spending time with one another. Notice what came first. The doctrine and then the fellowship. I just want to go to a church. They teach too much. We just need to fellowship more. No, 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 no. The doctrine comes first and then the fellowship. Because if it's only fellowship, that's a country club. Amen. That's a country club. And then it says, breaking of bread and in prayers. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.